Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. We are back today with another installment of our Talking Markets podcast series, where we do like to catch up with industry colleagues and partners to hear their thoughts on a range of market and macro topics, as well as spend some time on portfolio positioning. So uh, with that, joining me for the conversation today, glad to welcome back William Davies. William is the Global Chief Investment Officer with Columbia Threadneedle Investments. Uh, William, thank you very much for spending some time with us today. Looking forward to hearing your insights on the current environment. Welcome back. Dan, thanks very much indeed for the opportunity to join you. It's much appreciated. Absolutely. So uh, with that, maybe beginning big picture, William, can you spend a few moments sharing with us your expectations for the U.S. economy's trajectory from here as we make our way further into 2024, perhaps the prospects for a recession? What are your macro thoughts right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, one of the factors which has been a real surprise um, over the past nine months um, uh, or so. Uh, if we look at uh, 23 and the traje- trajectory of economic growth in the U.S. Um, in 23, by the end of the last year, we're expecting to be in or around a recession, no growth whatsoever. Um, what did we hit in the back end of last year in the third and fourth quarter, we saw annualized growth of around about 5% and 3% in the third and fourth quarter, much stronger than we had anticipated earlier in the year. And I think, uh, you know, with interest rates at five and a quarter, five and a half percent, you know, the expectation was um, that we really would have started to see a slowdown by now. And so then the question arises is, so has that, has that just been delayed? Uh, do we just expect that to occur as we go into uh, 24? And I, we're not so sure at Columbia Threadneedle. Um, uh, yes, we expect to see some sort of a slowdown from those really fast rates of growth, the five and the three, or whatever, back end of last year. Um, but we don't really expect to see recession as we go um, into 24. This cycle is a little bit different. And I know as investors, we should be very careful about saying it's different this time. Uh, But if you look at the U.S. economy and the housing market in particular and the the preponderance of uh, fixed rate mortgages, 30-year mortgages, the increase in rates has not had as big an impact as it would have done uh, were there to be more variable rate um, uh, mortgages. And so we think the U.S. economy is pretty resilient um, as we go into uh, 24. We also shouldn't forget the budget deficit of five or six percent or so is really quite high um, still. Um, and so that is something which is um, uh, helping support that growth as we go into 24. But yes, that's the case for US. It's pretty different um, other areas of the world. If we look at Europe, uh, we're seeing very little growth um, uh, in the second half of last year and going into uh, 24 as well. So it's not as if growth is much stronger throughout the world uh, the U.S. is much more resilient than, than, we, than we would see in um, Europe. But that's good for companies. That's good for um, earnings. Um, you could say that's a bit of a warning uh, for inflation, but inflation has come down um, to around about that 3% um, uh, level uh, uh, or so, um, You know, maybe uh, closer to 4% um, uh, core. But that's a huge improvement from the 6% or so a year ago and the 9% levels Uh, we saw in mid-22. So there's a lot of improvement uh, which has taken place and much more resilience than we would have thought, and that may well continue into 24. 
It is interesting, William, to hear how the U.S. economy is faring relative to other parts of the world. You mentioned inflation, of course, well documented. The Fed's efforts here in the U.S. to combat inflation when we think about 2023. Now, more recently, we received that hotter than expected uh, CPI print for the month of January. There's, of course, a lot of expectations for the commencement of quantitative tightening uh, rate cuts here in the U.S. as we make our way further through this year. So with that, what are your expectations for monetary policy in the months ahead and perhaps the timing when it comes to uh, QT or rate cuts? Yeah, so if we look at uh, rate cuts, let's cover that. Um, uh, So if we look at rate cuts, you know, consensus as we're going into the back end of last year, uh, we we, expectations of five, six uh, rate cuts this year um, in the U.S. starting um, in March. Well, that's only next month now, isn't it? Um, starting in March, uh, we were never really that optimistic. Um, and indeed, the Fed governors were never that optimistic. Um, and consensus is now moving towards that. There'll be three, four rate cuts starting in the second quarter. And we think it probably will start in the second quarter. We uh, think that uh, rate reductions will probably start uh, June. We think that it's not going to be that wrong to follow what the Fed thinks. Three rate cuts this year, so maybe 75 basis points as we go through this year. But there's something quite important that has occurred as we've gone through this process. As we've gone through this process of rate cuts will come later. In other words, no longer in March this year, you know, out out another three months to June or whatever. And the rate cuts won't be as dramatic this year as previously. What would we expect to happen to uh, markets and equity markets in particular? We'd expect them to come off a bit because of the disappointment about rate reductions. And where are we right now? U.S. market around um, all-time highs, around at all-time highs, um, as I look at the, uh, the screens. And so actually that disappointment has been pretty well taken um, by equity markets, which again, I think is uh, is a, um, a, a quite a good sign in terms of the resilience um, uh, in um, uh, in markets. So we'd expect uh, rate reductions uh, to start uh, end of the second quarter um, in June of this year, but to get fewer than the than optimists around here, that's not necessarily a bad thing, uh, because it means that as we go into 25. Uh, seems a long way away now, but in a year's time, in 25, we'd expect to see further uh, rate cuts because if we only have 75 basis points this year, there's room for further cuts, um, uh, presuming that inflation doesn't uh, pick back up. Against that backdrop, William, hearing your macro outlook, your policy outlook, maybe we can spend a few moments looking at the asset allocation table, uh, hearing your thoughts when it comes to positioning. One of our key messages and focus at the UBS Chief Investment Office has been a buy quality when it comes to fixed income and equity. So uh, maybe we can jump around a bit, starting with fixed income. What's your outlook for returns and any preferences within the asset class at this time? Yeah, so if we look, say, at the, let's take the 10 year as an example, um, uh, uh, 10 year US Treasuries. Um, you know, we saw yields uh, back last August uh, go from 4% uh, up to 5% end October. And then as we entered this year, they'd come back down below 4%, 3.8 or so. And where are we now? 430, um, uh, something, uh, something like that. And so uh, consequently, we've seen a bit of, uh, I guess, uh, hope 
um, in the markets that with inflation coming down and interest rates uh, coming through, uh, that uh, yields came down and then a bit of disappointment um, because uh, rate cuts are not going to happen as quickly as you rightly pointed out, Dan. Um, uh, the inflation number have, the inflation numbers haven't been pretty impressive throughout 23. In January 24, ticked up a little bit, but um, or a bit higher than expected, but um, you know, not markedly so. Um, uh, but that disappointment has put us at a level now, which I think is pretty attractive in terms of 10-year yields at that 4.30. Um, and I think that realization um, in um, uh, in at the short end as well, uh, with uh, two-year back up to uh, you know 4 4.69 or so. Um, we look at that and, and say, well, hang on, um, some of that bad news about rates not coming down so quickly is now being factored in. Um, and so, actually, uh, we're quite optimistic about uh, uh, about the bond market as we as we go through uh, 24 and uh, into 25. Uh, but the one thing we would um, uh, uh, say is that you mentioned it yourself, Dan. You said if we find quality, um, and indeed, especially if there's been some, uh, you know, some uh, some price setback in quality, take advantage of that. So we would be more favourable of the um, investment grade end um, of the uh, quality spectrum rather than high yield. Why is that? I mean, if everything is fine, then surely you want to invest in high yield because the, you get that um, extra kicker of the yield, and there's more benefit to come. We still think. But if you're looking at high yield around about eight, nine percent, there are going to be those companies where it's more difficult for them to raise capital. Um, and certainly that cost of capital is going to be a challenge to some of their business models. Um, whereas with an economy which is slowing but reasonable as we go through um, uh, 24, we think the investment grade uh, looks the more attractive end um, of that. Um, but that doesn't mean we should discount high yield. It's just that we think, from a, a prudency viewpoint, um, you know, the, the investment grade end is is probably more attractive. And that extra kicker you get at the investment grade end against pure treasuries, again, we think is um, uh, attractive. Not that spreads are particularly wide, but we think that that extra uh, uh, kicker you get um, from uh, from that high yield, from that spread, uh, will be um, uh, will be a, a reward um, as we go through this year. So that's kind of the the point of the curve we want to be, or point of the uh, quality curve we want to be. Uh, investment grade we think is um, uh, pretty attractive. Now on the equity side, you mentioned William valuations a few moments ago. Of course, a lot of focus has been on equity valuations here in the U.S. Though as we're making our way through the Q4 reporting season, it, it seems to be getting better and better with each passing week, and we've seen some nice growth in Q4. What are your thoughts on current valuations and any sector preferences or preferences overall within equities at this time? Yeah, so you're right to point out valuations, because if we look at an environment where interest rates are expected to come down, where the economy is expected to be more resilient than people had expected, inflation probably not going back to the levels we uh, uh, were enjoying in the um, uh, early 2010s and the 2000s of sub 2%, but, you know, it's coming back towards that 3% or so. That's not a particularly bad environment um, for equities, but we did see uh, strength in equities in 23. And so the valuations are not especially attractive. But what we would say 
is that certainly in the first nine months or so of 23, uh, the, the equity markets were driven uh, by a very narrow cohort, commonly known as the Magnificent Seven or whatever. And we expect as we go through 24, we'll see greater breadth um, amongst the uh, markets. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, you look on a day like today and, uh, and people talk about, well, uh, you know, these, uh, you know, these uh, uh, companies which have driven the market, the high growth companies uh, are very expensive. But you look at the ability of companies like NVIDIA uh, to beat earnings estimates for their business model to have completely transformed over the last year. And they deserve uh, the appreciation um, that we have seen there. But nonetheless, you look at the valuation of some of those smaller uh, companies in particular, um, and to us, they look, um, you know, pretty attractive relative to some of the larger companies. So, you know, we'd look for some uh, uh, some uh, opportunities uh, around there. What I would also say is that it's a bit similar to the fixed income argument. Be careful of some of those more risky companies. Um, if you look at uh, uh, equity companies, uh, sorry, if you look at companies um, and, uh, and the capital structure and you look at the equity and those companies uh, which have high leverage, then their business models are going to be more challenged uh, with uh, rates higher um, uh, than they were. Um, and so consequently, uh, again, we would go towards the quality end of the companies with more predictable earnings. And as rates come down, we believe that uh, uh, they will be reflected uh, with um, uh, higher valuations and so more attractive capital returns. Um, so do I think that growth is going to outperform value to the extent that it has done in some of the recent years? No, I don't think that will be the case in 24. Uh, but would I prefer to stick with the quality um, uh, part where uh, part of the, uh, um, uh, of the of the company spectrum uh, where we see, you know, more predictable earnings and more sustainable earnings? Yes. That where that's where we'd prefer to be, Dan. Now, looking outside of the U.S., William, any regional stories or anything within the emerging markets that jumps out to you at this time? Emerging markets is uh, is is quite difficult uh, because emerging markets uh, have have been dominated uh, market cap wise by China, um, and we're starting to see some recovery um, in China. If you look at the uh, the, the new year, you look at the, you know, <laughs> the uh, dawn of the year of the dragon. Um, uh, we have seen an increase in travel. We have seen an increase in spending. But boy, we should have seen that, um, uh, given the fact that they're coming out of um, uh, COVID. And we continue to say when we look at um, uh, China, be a little bit careful, uh, because traditionally the way they have um, uh, stimulated their economy, driven growth, is through uh, uh, spending on fixed capital formation, um, it's spending on the property market. Um, we think the multipliers in both those areas are less uh, than they used to be. So I think we've got to get used to Chinese growth being uh, lower than it uh, used to be. That's not particularly heroic, um, you know, with rates of seven, eight, nine percent historically. But maybe that's going to be closer to three percent and less than the five percent even that we saw um, uh, last year. And so for emerging markets. Um, I think valuations are attractive, uh, but there is certainly uncertainty around the relationship, the trading relationship between China um, and the West, and China and the U.S. in particular. 
and obviously with an election in the US um, uh, this year, um, it may not be in the interests of the um, uh, of the candidates uh, to uh, uh, to promote uh, an environment uh, which is seen as uh, uh, pro-Chinese. Um, and so maybe there will be some trade concerns as we go through 24 and into um, uh, 25. Uh, so I think on emerging markets, um, cheap, but um, maybe uh, uh, for a reason. I think in Japan, uh, we're seeing some um, opportunities um, uh, there. Uh, the Nikkei is, uh, is reaching uh, uh, new highs, but highs, <laughs> previous highs back at the end of the 1980s. Uh, so that's taken a long time uh, coming, and topics approaching that. Um, but we'd look there and we'd see improved governance. Uh, we would uh, uh, look at um, uh, growth, though, which will continue to be challenged. So if you were to ask me, would I invest in Japan for the next 10 years versus the U.S., I would say the U.S. continues to be more attractive, um, uh, given the uh, superior growth, the superior dynamism of the U.S. economy. If you were to say, uh, could there be a time over the nearer uh, term where Japan does better, given the weakness of the yen, given the improvement in governance, um, I think that there is an argument that uh, Japan being cheaper can do, um, uh, can do uh, fine uh, shorter term. But let's not forget those demographic uh, challenges. Um, and also, if there is something which is going to be a headwind over the next few years, but we're not sure at what time, what uh, time, it's the budget deficits, the government budget deficits, you know, over 100% in many of the uh, developed countries, and in Japan, in the 200s of percent. So that's something I would caution about with regard to um, Japan. Short term, maybe okay, but I wouldn't um, uh, hold out for the very long term. A few considerations there when it comes to positioning across regions and helpful to hear your views earlier on both fixed income as well as equity here in the U.S. equities. So just taking a step back, William, as we look out through the balance of 2024, any risks, headwinds that could disrupt uh, your market outlook or perhaps trigger volatility during the span? Yeah, I continue to think that one of the uh, drivers of markets last year could be a threat as we go through 24. Um, and one of the drivers of markets in 23 was falling inflation and the expectations that interest rates would fall. If we were to see a reversal of, uh, of uh, that falling inflation, um, then I think that, you know, that would be that would be a real headwind um, uh, for markets. Um, however, what could cause that? I think if we look at economies generally um, and improving um, uh, supply chains, um, then I think really that inflation ought to continue to come down, but obviously not at the same rate it came down last year. But it's whether or not there is some exogenous factor which drives inflation higher. Now, what could that be? Well, it could be geopolitics. Um, um, so if we look at conflict, uh, you know, horrible conflict that we have in the uh, Middle East, ultimately, if that were to broaden, could that uh, impact uh, oil markets, um, uh, commodity markets more generally? That's a possibility, but it hasn't happened um, uh, thus far. Uh, we see continued conflict in Europe with Russia's invasion of uh, Ukraine. Um, uh, tragic uh, from a, a human um, uh, viewpoint, from an economic viewpoint, we've seen the hit uh, to uh, growth in various areas. 
Um, but again, that could have some impact on um, uh, on commodity prices, uh, but that's not occurring um, at the um, at the moment. And indeed, with the number of uh, I guess leaders who are uh, who uh, who show or exhibit power, um, there can always be uh, concerns about uh, 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 I guess trade relationships. And we've seen when supply chains dry up how that can be inflationary and that can have a negative impact. Maybe leaders have learned that that is not a good outcome for economies and for, um, um, for uh, their positions. Um, but that remains a risk um, as, uh, as we move forward. And I talk about geopolitics and so uh, international relationships. Domestically, um, obviously, there are uh, you know, elections in the uh, U.S., um, uh, 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 this year, um, and there are bound to be uh, uh, hiccups as we go along the, the way between now and uh, election day and thereafter as to what <laughs> concerns are, what the candidates uh, actually start to talk about that they may do or they may not do. So again, the, there are going to be some headwinds which uh, arise there. There is a lot out there to monitor. So before we wrap up, William, anything in the way of final thoughts or takeaways you would like to leave our listeners with? Yeah, I think one of the things I would say, and thank you for the opportunity here, is uh, let's not forget what occurred in the second half of last year. Uh, we had equity markets um, you know, peaking around about July, well, reaching their highs for the year. Um, around about July, there was then disappointment about interest rate um, uh, cuts, and markets fell uh, meaningfully. What was it? The um, uh, the S and P down from uh, 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 four eight or whatever down to uh, four two, um, and uh, and then with inflation coming down and expectations of interest rates being brought forward. So in other words, a dashing of some of those uh, negative uh, sentiments. Uh, we're back at highs now. What I would say is really important as we go through 24, we actually think that the economies are in a decent place. Uh, we think that interest rates are going to come down. Um, I think it's really important um, when we get a little bit of news which may threaten that, not to try and market time um, things, but to stay uh, uh, fully invested or to stay well invested um, at least because we saw the dangers of potentially coming out of the market at the wrong time last year uh, actually um, uh, could have been uh, really quite costly. Um, so I think given that the uh, overall backdrop um, uh, looks uh, pretty reasonable, it's that staying invested, um, I would say there, Dan. Well, William, it's always a pleasure having you on. Do appreciate you dropping by, spending some time with our listeners to share with us your outlook for the economy here in the U.S., providing some global perspective and uh, hitting on some views, guidance when it comes to allocation as well. So very uh, productive conversation this morning, and we do look forward to continuing our conversation at some point with you, William. Though, thank you again for your time today. No, thank you, Dan, and thank you all very much indeed. Uh, for listening today. Really appreciate it. Thank you all. Thank you, William. Again, today we have been speaking with William Davies, the Global Chief Investment Officer for Columbia Threadneedle Investments. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us.
As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreement and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy.